Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. Accordingly, I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Have you ever parsed President Lyndon Johnson's words from that famous 1968 statement, I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Why Why did he feel the need to say and will not accept? Hans Knoll knows the answer. He's an associate professor of government at Georgetown, the author of Political Ideologies and Political Parties in America and co-author of Political Parties and The Party Decides Presidential Nominations Before and After Reform. Professor, thank you so much for being here. You caught my eye when you published in the New York Times recently under the headline, There is a Better Way to Pick a Presidential Nominee. Tell me what was going on in the Johnson case. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, uh, in the Johnson case, I mean, you know, Johnson, I think, correctly realized, um, perhaps a little bit later than uh, than we think it would be normal now, correctly realized that he probably wasn't the best candidate for his uh, for his party, and he probably wasn't going to do well in the '68 election. So he stepped down. Um, he stepped down right, you know, sort of at the beginning of the year. So right around now, or a little bit later than now, actually, in the in the cycle. And he said, you know, look, Democrats, you should do a better job. You should select somebody else. And, yeah, he did feel like he needed to say, and, you know, if you decide you want me after all, look, no, I really don't want that to be the case because it wasn't just about him running for the nomination. It was about, and it kind of technically still is, but it really was then about the party making a choice of who they would like to nominate. And and really, among other things, you're here to disabuse us of the notion that the way we select our nominees today, either party, is always the way that it has been. That, this is not our history. No, not at all. I mean, we've sort of stumbled, uh, not even intentionally, into the system that we have now. Hubert Humphrey, by way of illustration, who becomes the nominee after Johnson decides in 68 that he won't, and Richard Nixon goes on to win the election, the eventual nominee, you say, he won no primaries or caucuses. That's right. Yeah, he um, he only answered a handful, but the path at that time wasn't through the caucuses and primaries. Caucuses and primaries were useful as a way to maybe you know tell 
the party, oh, this candidate has some appeal or can, you know, has some voters who really like them. Maybe a particularly this candidate has some appeal with a group of voters that we weren't sure about. So sort of famously in 1960, uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, victory in West Virginia said, hey, look, a Catholic can win in West Virginia. It's not a problem to put him on the on the ticket. Um, but ultimately, the decision was made by um, party delegates at the, the convention who you know, negotiated with each other and talked through who the better candidates would be using that information from, from primaries and other votes, but also other information, and then deciding, hey, look, this is the best candidate for, uh, for, the, you know, for our party and what we want to stand for. Well, then what was the purpose of even having a primary or a caucus before we began the, the process that we utilize now? Well, there are two purposes. I mean, one, as I just mentioned, it's sort of a signal of information, right? So you win in some states, especially states that are maybe outside of your, um, you know, your experience, and that's a big signal. Oh, here's somebody who can win the votes of, of a part of our party that, um, that we want to make sure that they can do. Um, not unlike what you know, Joe Biden did in 2020 with his success in South Carolina, saying, hey, look, he's the one who can win with some important segments of the Democratic coalition, in that case, uh, black voters. So that was one part of it. Um, the other part of it is that the people who go to the convention, who make those decisions, they get selected through a process in the various states, and many of them were selected either through primaries or through um, some other kind of voting process or in caucuses and so on. And what did start to happen, um, even before uh, the shift after the 1968, is people said, oh, well, I want to send the right, I want this person to be the nominee. I'm going to make sure I send delegates who agree with me to the convention and you know then they'll more likely to advocate for it. that that works just fine because then you've got different delegates and they still ham, hammer it out at the very end so you still have to choose the people to go but um you're not binding them you don't have to bind them the way that we do now to vote the way that their state has told them to uh on the first ballot so professor in the new york times and i'll circulate this again in my social media because i i i linked to it at my website and newsletter a couple of days ago but here's the paragraph that i circled quote these are your words the best way for a party to choose its leader is for that party to convene confer and compromise on a candidate who serves its agenda and appeals to voters the conventions of the mid-20th century deeply flawed as they were were designed for that purpose if those flaws were fixed they would be far better than what we use today go make your case that this is the way the parties ought to select nominees so think about it like who would we like to have for each party's uh, nominee we want somebody who you know we want choices we want two different we don't just want one you know candidate that tries to you know in the exact to try to appeal to everybody we want choice two possible choices a democrat and a republican um and we want each party to say okay this is what we as a party stand for these are the things that are important to us these are the things that we think are important for politics and important for policy um that's a complicated decision it involves a lot of trade-offs a lot of like, well, you really care about, uh, you're worried about the environment and environmental protections. You're really worried about, um, you know, racial uh, equality. You're really worried about um, the wages. So, you know, let's, let's craft a, a package together that we think is both what we want to stand for. You know, we, people go into politics because they care about things and they want things to get done. Um, but also that we think is sensible and that voters are going um, to choose because that's how we um, do you know, checks on the parties to make sure that they respond to voters. 
Um, that is a complicated thing, and it's very hard to do when you just have a bunch of charismatic people who may or may not have enough resources to campaign in state after state after state, and then the ones who happen to succeed in early states um, manage to make it into later states, and then the ones in the later states um, who you know continue to give you know, some choice among those people who are voting in those later states, and then yet the latest states that a foregone conclusion by the time it comes to them. Um, there, not only is it you know, not very democratic, that only some of those voters matter, but they're not doing any negotiating. They're not doing any conversation. They're not saying, look, this is an important part of the, what our party stands for, and you're not paying attention to it. And then a politician can step back and can say, okay, well, you're right. I have not had a great record with this, but here, let me show you why I can commit to doing uh, this sort of thing. Um, again, to take the 2020 example, Biden's uh, success with African-American voters was in part because he promised to do specific things like nominate the black woman to the Supreme Court, but other things um, if he was elected, even though he's a old white guy. And so there's, oh, well, there's a little bit of compromise there. But that kind of thing is very hard to orchestrate in the course of the primaries, right? I'm giving you an example where it, it, it happened, but it's just that one example. You would like a more thorough discussion and a convention's a better place for that. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. So I, I'm accepting of your argument. I agree with it. By the way, I see parallels in what you're here advocating for and things that I've said in the past about mm-hmm. superdelegates. I'll circle back to that in a minute. But I think many hearing the conversation are going to think that Professor Hans Knoll from Georgetown is advocating a return to Tamney Hall and smoke-filled rooms and power brokers who are making the decisions for the rest of us. Like, why are we going to entrust those individuals to determine who our nominee will be, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican? You would say what to them? Yeah, well, so it absolutely looks like that, and it could be that if we didn't try to do a better job. The the 
reforms that got us to our current place were meant to create a more democratic, small d democratic, more more representative convention, not, uh, you know, just everybody is voting and people are bound and so forth, but rather, um, you know, let's send a group of people to the convention that more accurately reflect the whole country. The problem is, uh, you know, correctly, that you know, we have these people in these smoke-filled back rooms who um, only re- reflect some parts of the party. And since you don't know what they're saying back there, it's not very transparent. And because uh, only some people get to get to, you know, get into that room, then that's problematic. But, um, you know, we, can, we do lots of things to try to make um, representative democracy more representative. Similarly, you know, sort of a nice parallel would be with Congress. We might say, hey, Congress uh, is or is not adequately representative of the country, and we want to make sure that we, you know, draw better districts or increase the um, uh, democratic representation of certain groups that are uh, marginalized or not allowed to vote, all those kinds of things to make Congress more representative. And then we expect Congress to negotiate and come to a good decision. I think the convention could do the same thing. And if we focus on making the convention more representative, that's what you would get. I, I'm not sure if it was the 2016 cycle or the 2020. I think it was 2016 where there was controversy and, and many were arguing against the role of superdelegates. And my position at the time, whichever cycle it was, was that Superdelegates, and you probably know the history better than I do, but superdelegates came of age, I think, because on the Democratic side of the aisle, uh, McGovern was blown out in 72, and there had been too much of a yielding to the people and not the politicians post-Chicago in 68. I think I'm secure in my facts. And what I said is, well, these superdelegates who hold elective office or are party people, they know how to win. And in the end, like the purpose of a political party is to select a winner. And that's why I think there's something to be said for entrusting those who are part of the process. First of all, what do you make of what I just said? Well, I mean, broadly speaking, yeah, I think I, I agree that the superdelegates do, you know, they have some idea of how to win. They're also elected, mostly elected officials, right? They're mostly people who have won votes from the Democratic Party or from the Republican Party, if you had them uh, had a similar thing. We don't. Democrats don't, Republicans don't have them, but from their own party, um, and they therefore represent the interests of that party in that state. They know what their party wants. Um, the reason for superdelegates is, is, you know, is what you were describing there, but also because those people were being shut out of any role in the convention at all, and they're like, well, wait, we want to be part of the party. We are elected. We want to be involved in this conversation, and then so even independent of too much voice for the people, these are the, the representatives of the party. Um, I think there is a potential argument to, to be made that the kinds of people who get to be superdelegates um, are not broadly representative of everything that the party wants or stands for. And so having more different voices would also be good. Um, in the pre-superdelegate era, those people would have gotten to be delegates by virtue of the, the way they were previously selected, and they'd be mixed in with the other folks who are more uh, maybe representative of groups that are left out. Um, and then they they have that ability to negotiate. They know how to win. They also know how to do politics. And the internal politics of the convention um, needs leaders like that. So given your area of interest and expertise, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about the final subject that I, I want to raise on this. And it's as mm-hmm. follows. You may get what you want on one or both sides of the aisle, in my opinion, in this cycle. What's that going to look like if, if for whatever reason... The Democratic Party and or the Republican Party at the convention make a change. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I've been, I've been sort of talking about this now for, for several cycles is, is that it, it's always potentially there, right? The, the system is designed to, so to not happen, but if either party sends delegates that do not have an outright majority, so it's, you know, if the delegates that are selected by the current process don't give you an outright majority, then um, you would have you know, a contested convention. They wouldn't get a, a winner on the first ballot, and they would then have other uh, need to go on to further negotiation. Um, and I think it's dangerous for that to sneak up on us, because the real, only real concern that I think we should have about that system is that um, most Americans don't think of it that way. They don't understand that that's, that's possible. They maybe, you know, when it happens, might see it as uh, is incredibly unfair and unjust. And, um, and then that leads to a lack of legitimacy. And then whatever decision is made in the party that might go in this direction, you know, the, the candidate that loses might have been incentivized to say, hey, this wasn't fair. We sh- I should have been allowed to uh, do this. They did this thing or that. And then, you know, that's the same as the problem we have with people saying they don't uh, agree with the election outcome and, and that kind of um, unrest. And wouldn't want that. Um, and so the concern that I have um, is that if we stumble into it um, and are not ready or don't, don't talk about it, um, the legitimacy of the outcome is, is in question, and that's not good. Okay, well, how ready, how equipped is the Democratic Party if Joe Biden should decide, despite what he has said heretofore, that he's not going to run? How prepared are the Republicans if Donald Trump goes out and clears the board in you know January, February, and March, and then is convicted by the beginning of the summer, having secured a sufficient number of delegates. What's that going to look like? Well, I mean, I think to some degree, both parties, you know, the party leaders themselves, the party activists, the people who are at the convention. I mean, they they're they're savvy people, and they know about what to do with this, and they're probably prepared to think not only about how to negotiate and find an alternative, but also um, how to make you know make sure that that alternative is somebody that would have broad support within the party. Um, but at the end of the day, that means they're thinking about the, their party voters and whether they are you know, excited and, and sold um, by that, that idea. And it's up to them. You know, it's up to us as voters to decide that this is actually a potentially democratic uh, system. Um, it's better if we know going in that when we're going to vote in, our, in primaries, that we're sending people who not just are cho- chosen because they like the candidate that they, we like, but we're also choosing sending people who will have this ability and will, you know, bargain and negotiate in good faith. And um, that's we're, we're, it's not it's not as transparent as it should be. It's not clear as it should be. Um, more should be done to make the convention um, a better institution. If we stumble into it, I mean, we stumbled into the system we have now, and it took a cycle or two to, for for people to adapt and make use of it. If we stumble into this too, the first cycle it might be bad might be ugly. And then we realize, oh, but, but the solution would have been if we just been a little bit better about how we, uh, how we organized. And of course, politicians, oh, this could happen again. Now they'll adapt. And it may take a couple of cycles before it works um, as well as we'd like it to. And then unfortunately, I don't feel like we have a couple of cycles to just like let the system ride out, but that might be what happens. I have Christmas on the brain. Should I be pronouncing your name Noel? Uh, no, I, we pronounce it Noel. Um, no, although I'm good. generally, you know, especially around Christmas, especially uh, um, tolerant <laughs> of the alternate pronunciation. OK, final thought. Uh, someone who is listening to this and, and wants to appear smart at the dinner table tonight should take away from Professor Hans Knoll at Georgetown. What? Leave us with that one thought. Um, that we should be thinking about the nominations, president and the other office, as a choice of the political party, 
the Democrats are choosing this person, the Republicans are choosing this person. But our current system really makes it hard for the party, in any way that you might characterize it, to have control over that. The input of voters is sporadic and weird, but it's there, and so you get this other like dynamic that has a life of its own. And I would think that we would be better off if the Democrats gave us a choice, the Republicans gave us a choice, and then we uh, got to choose between them rather than the status quo. I will call you back in July when we when we will again need your expertise, okay? I would be happy to talk again. Professor, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hans Knoll is author or co-author of several books on political parties, including Political Ideologies and Political Parties in America. My hunch is this could be a hard sell for some of you. Not for me. Not for me. I, I know that the, the rap is, well, you know, if we give party leaders more of a say, it's suddenly undemocratic. But everybody who's there would be elected in some capacity. By the way, in 1984, yeah, 1980, ooh, do I have my years off? I think I have, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm wrong. It would have been 1988. I was uh, an elected alternate delegate at age, I have to do the math, 24. 526, uh, when George Herbert Walker Bush was securing the Republican nomination, got to go to the convention uh, in New Orleans. In fact, I remember well when he made the selection of, uh, of Dan Quayle. Uh, but th- there was no business there to really be addressed, right? I mean, Bush had the nomination locked up. It was not a contested convention. But I know, I know a little something about the process as a result that I otherwise would not know. And in the same way that I see purpose in the superdelegates, because you got to pick a winner. I see I see good arguments for having more power in a convention, which does mean that if you continue with primaries and caucuses, they are more of a, a beauty process than anything else. But I'd like to go this way. And, and something else, I think it would be wonderful if we could also shorten the time period. And instead of, I mean, my God, it feels like we've been at it already for a year. The voting hasn't even begun. The voting's about to begin with the Iowa caucus and New Hampshire primary. And then there's going to be about five months of voting. If it were all concentrated in a convention and the convention really was a place where the parties determined who their nominees would be, I think it would be a good thing. So I'm a sympathetic ear. Am I convinced? I'm not convinced, but I am a sympathetic ear when he says there's a better way to pick a presidential nominee. And it would be a convention rather than this drawn out process that we have. Any of you agree or disagree and care to chew it? Is there a better way to pick our presidential nominees? And, and I had a twofold purpose. I wanted the history lesson. I wanted to hear his insight. But I also wanted to get you thinking about what might happen, even though... You know, we currently have a primary and caucus system that culminates in a convention that really is just a a voting process, because if there if there is something that shifts on either side, if President Biden decides he doesn't want to do it or and I wish him Godspeed if he can't do it or if Donald Trump can't do it either for health or because he's been convicted, then all of a sudden these conventions are going to take on added heft. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. The Michael Smirconis Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Peter, what is the one thing you wanted to say? Yes, I, 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 my question is, is why not have a national primary day for, for, to give voters uh, fairness and, and some, some say in the, in, in, this, in the selection of the nominee? For example, New Jersey doesn't. When was the last time New Jersey had any say in, in, in the nominees since they don't vote till June? Yeah. Um, yep. I hear you. Um, I, I guess the, I, my favored my favored method would be regional, uh, so that it would be you know the Northeast, and and we would rotate this. We would have the Northeast go, and I mean, <laughs> you know, Maine, New England. I'm not sure how far south we would come, um, and then it would be the Southwest. And then it would be the Pacific Northwest, and then it would be the middle of the country, et cetera, et cetera, and mix it up. The reason, uh, just spitballing, but the reason that I don't think I could go with a, a one national primary day is that I don't think it would allow the emergence of a Jimmy Carter, you know, mm. a peanut farmer from Georgia who can go and, and show his strength in a state or two, and then everybody else who's never even heard of him all of a sudden is is dialed in. Instead, I think you would have like the Gavin Newsom's, not that there's anything wrong with Gavin Newsom, but you'd have somebody who's got a national profile because they're coming from a big state or because they're they're already known. Maybe they had a, a you know, a hit uh, reality TV show. And I think it would be the deck would be stacked against somebody who's not well known, but is a quality person. David, you're in Charlottesville, Virginia. You most wanted to say what? Yeah, I, I think we needed some reform. I mean, if the uh, delegate system, if you think about it, Hillary Clinton got 3.5 million more votes than, than Trump, but he wins uh state of Pennsylvania and becomes the president. 
you know, I, if you think about it, we only have four states that basically elect the president, Georgia, Pennsylvania, sometimes Wisconsin, and Arizona. Those are the last three kind of swing states that we, people spend a lot of time on. I think the original delegate system was set up because they couldn't get the votes to walk. Not, I guess it was Pennsylvania, Philadelphia back then. But, uh, but look, you're just my you're, thought process. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're making just so I'm clear, and you you get this obviously. You're talking about the way we elect presidents. I'm talking about the way we nominate our presidential candidates. Jerry, greetings. What did you most want to say? Good morning. Very simply. Uh, the system we have now doesn't make any sense. I'm 91. I've lived through a lot of presidents, a lot of delegations, a lot of nonsense. I agree with the concept. Let the two parties sit down and pound out what they all think is the best. And let's stop making Iowa, for example, the least diversified state in the union, something of a pole star that guides the rest of us. Makes no sense. I also think, if I may, quickly, I don't believe Biden is going to run. I think the most powerful person in the United States, other than the president, is his wife, Dr. Biden. And I think she's going to say, I've had enough. Family's had enough. We've got a kid who's got real problems. We've had so much tragedy in our life. Enough already. Come on home. Take care of the family. Okay, well, we will see. We will see, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have a bit of a tutorial on conventions. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.